Well, hello, and welcome to the RCC Podcast. We are so glad you chose to join us today. It is our hope that you are inspired, challenged, and learn something new. Enjoy the message. Well, thanks for braving the weather. Thanks for being here. If you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, my name is Stephen. Welcome to Redemption. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we're in a series entitled, You Are Not the King. And what we've been doing is studying the book of 1 Samuel from the back up into the front. We're about halfway through it right now. We're halfway through our series, which will conclude on December 23rd, which will be our kind of our Christmas uh, Sunday morning service. And uh, what we're doing as we study it, this book is looking at the, the characters. The main ones are Samuel, uh, Saul, and David, and then there's a supporting character, Jonathan. And we've been studying these characters and, yeah, asking the question, hey, what can we learn from them and uh, what wisdom is found in this book? Because the Bible is a, it's a good book. There's a lot to learn in there. Uh, but more importantly than that, we're asking the question, how does this book bear witness about Jesus? And what does it teach us of this gospel uh, of God's great love for us. See, John chapter 5 uh, teaches us that the Old Testament bears witness about Jesus. And so uh, if you in your Christian life or even in your non-Christian life have looked in and thought, oh, the Old Testament, that's old, it's outdated, it's irrelevant. Well, uh, when we look at it properly, it's not. In fact, it's, it's very relevant in teaching us about who God is. This morning, uh, our overarching question uh, that the text brings up is what do you see? Or said maybe another way, who do you see? Anyone want to know when the first self? Anyone does anyone know when the first selfie was? This is not you don't have to answer this out loud. When the first selfie was taken, it was 1839 when the first selfie was taken. Okay, so if you want to blame it on millennials, it's not exactly true. Okay, in 1839, one of the fathers of modern photography um, wanted to try out his camera, and so he had like four very grumpy men uh, looking into the camera. They didn't smile back then, and they took the first selfie uh, that's recorded in 1839. Well, since then, um, we've perfected this. In fact, my 13-year-old, 13-year-old, she's not 13, my 13th month, <laughs> dear Lord, um, my 13th month uh, daughter knows how to take selfies. And so when we um, leave our phones out on the couch, like every good parent, because, um, you know, every baby needs a $1,000 uh, toy. And so she um, grabs the phone and she will take selfies. There are about six of them on my phone that she has taken herself. That's called a selfie, I guess. That's self-explanatory. Now, um, some of you have probably taken selfies. Some of you are probably anti-selfie and you've made a claim that you'll never take one, okay? Which you'll probably break that promise at some point in your life. And uh, all we have to do is scroll through Instagram or uh, Facebook or anything else and see this. We're really good at taking pictures of ourselves. And if we don't take pictures of ourselves because you're too sophisticated for that, you probably do look in the mirror on occasion. I was listening to a speaker and he was talking about how um, when we look into the mirror, or even when we think about what we look like, uh, we typically have uh, a somewhat skewed perspective. We don't look like what we actually, we don't think, we don't look like what we actually think we look like. We look like what we think we ought to look like, or what we used to look like, or what we think people should see when they look at us. And this whole idea of what do I really look like? We have uh, magazines that tell us what to look like. Uh, we have websites and blogs 
we have ideals of what we think we should look like, and we have uh, this uh, culture that isn't just modern. I'm sure this has been around forever. That um, is crazy about what we see when we look at other people, or what people see when they look at us. And here in 1 Samuel 16, locked in the middle of the Old Testament some uh, thousands of years ago, God teaches this unbelievably modern message on what we see when we look at other people and what we see when we look at ourselves. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Now Saul was king of Israel because the Israelites had seen Saul and thought to themselves, that's the guy we want to be king, based entirely upon what they saw. So they saw Saul, he was taller, he was more handsome, he was a warrior, and they said, make him king. Simply, by the way he looked. Now, Samuel is grieving because Saul has now been rejected. Uh, Apparently, just looking at him and thinking he should be king wasn't the best idea. And so he fails as king. God rejects him as king. And Samuel, since he was the one who anointed him as king, is now dejected. And God looks at him and says, stop being dejected. It's time to move on. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. Now, that phrase, for I provided myself a king, uh, is actually probably better translated, I see myself a king. What a statement. (laughs) I see myself a king. God is saying right there, when I look out over Israel, I do see a king in Israel. And he's in the family of Jesse. He lives in Bethlehem, and I want you to go, and I want you to anoint him. Now, it's kind of like being elected, but not actually taking office. He's going to be anointed, but he doesn't actually become king quite yet. Now, in our series, we've been uh, talking about the fact that you're not the king, but it's an interesting point where when God says, I see a king, that any of us would uh, probably take a step back and say, well, hold on. What makes a king in God's eyes? What makes someone kingly in God's eyes? Because at the point of this story was that you get to become king at the end, then what you would want to do right now is to say, well, what does God see when he sees a king? Because I want to become that so I can become king. But you're not the king. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, even at the beginning here, um, there's a subtle message within the message because Samuel isn't seeing God correctly. And that's part of what's going on here. God's saying, you don't see each other correctly. You don't see me correctly. Because Samuel says, I can't go do what you've asked me to do because Saul's going to kill me. Like Moses before him who said, I can't go approach Pharaoh's throne because I have a stutter. Or Gideon who said, I can't lead this army because I'm not brave enough, I'm a coward. Uh, Over and over in the scriptures, we see examples of people who don't see God correctly. And God says to Samuel, don't use Saul as an excuse. In other words, Samuel, or any of us, If God has called us to do something, then he's probably provided a solution to the thing that we see as the obstacle of it happening or not. 
And part of seeing God correctly is realizing that if he's called you to do something, the human obstacle that you see, God already has a solution for. And so when Samuel says, I can't because Saul, God says, you can because I. And so he sends him anyway. He says, this is what I want you to do. He's already got a plan in place. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I'm in verse 3. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling. How would you like to be the guy that when you show up, everybody starts to tremble? That's Samuel. So everyone's trembling and they say, hey, do you come peaceably? And he said, I do. I'm here to bring peace. When soon as Samuel rolled into town, everyone um, left their houses and they came and said, oh, we got to see Samuel. We got to see Samuel. And anyone who was anyone, when Samuel rolls into town, everyone shows up because he's Samuel. If you remember one of the opening scenes of Lord of the Rings, when Gandalf rolls into town, everybody comes flocking, okay? Samuel, when he shows up into town, everyone shows up. If you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, let me try this one. Uh, a couple years ago, I was down in Dallas for a work trip, and uh, two co-workers and I walked into Starbucks uh, in, the, in downtown Dallas. And we walk into Starbucks, and we're like four people away. There's like eight people in Starbucks at the moment. We're four people away, uh, you know, from the registry, or register. And we look around. I kid you not, don't make this up. I don't lie in church. Okay. Um, we turn around, and three people behind us is Derek Jeter. Okay. This is like four years ago. He's the king of baseball, and now he's standing three people behind us. When I walked into Starbucks, there were like, you know, eight people. When I walked out of Starbucks, there were like 75, okay? And they were a quick Starbucks, all right? Like in four minutes, we went from 12 people to like 75. They were flocking right there. Because you know when there's a celebrity around, everybody who's, ever, or who's anyone gets invited if they're nearby to come see. Samuel rolls into town and all of the elders flock in because anyone who's anyone gets invited when Samuel is in town. Samuel doesn't roll into Bethlehem very often. And so if he's going to be there, everyone's going to show up. And so everyone's around. Now what happens is Samuel looks at this one family, and he says, why don't you all come out with me? We're going to do some sacrificing. When they came, he looked on Eliab. So now they're all around. Anyone who's everyone is there. This one family that he invites to come do the sacrifices is a guy by the name of Jesse. Jesse... Uh, kind of a historical big, biblical figure. If you heard of Ruth, that's his grandpa or her, <laughs> grandma. And so Jesse, uh, he's got a good good lineage, and uh, he gets pulled out and he says, "Hey, bring your bring your sons." And so he says, "All right." Well, Samuel's in town. We'll get them all. So when they came, he looked on Eliab. This is Samuel who looked on him. He looked on Eliab and thought, "Surely." The Lord's anointed is before him. Surely. Surely. Of course. This has to be the guy. Now Samuel does exactly what we do so often. He looks and he sees the outside and he thinks, that must be him. 
He looks the part. He is the part. It's got to be him. And what happens? These famous words are said. But the Lord said to Samuel, and we've heard these before, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so some thousand years ago, God predicts, he actually appropriately uh, diagnoses that culture, but also um, predicts all of culture for all of time. And he says this, man will be obsessed with outward appearance. Obsessed with it. And like, they'll build, the humanity will build identity, worth, around the way they look. They'll go crazy, spend money or hours, or put, um, uh, go on into surgery, all for the way they look. In fact, they'll wrap their lives around their wardrobes or their gym time or their Apple watches just to make sure that they look the part. And people will judge and evaluate other people based solely upon how they look. People will feel good or bad on uh, the clothes that they wear or the figure and shape of their body. As if God was predicting or knowing uh, that thousands of years later, 100, 150 years ago from now, uh, that, that eating disorders would arise as a result of this. Torturing at people's minds and souls. Or uh, if not that, uh, that pornography would be rampant. I mean, is anything more simply just about the physical appearance of someone than pornography? They're no, they're, I mean, you don't even know who the person is when you're watching. You know nothing. It's just simply the, the physical. Now we say, oh, well, those are extremes. Those are extremes. Okay, so you dial it back in. Obsession, overweight, um, clothing, looking better than fill in the blank. We even use this type of evaluation to make ourselves feel better. Like you see an enemy, and what's the first thing you say? Well, how'd they look? How'd they look? Oh, oh, they're balding? <laughs> Oh, they've put on some weight. Oh, they've whatever. Or we do it like this. Well, I might not make as much money as them, but at least I'm in shape. Right? It can drive us. It changes the way we see ourselves, and it changes the way that we see other people. Makes judgment calls exactly, exactly what the prophet Samuel did here. That's the guy. It's got to be him. Look at him. Changes who we vote for. 
changes who we promote, changes who we befriend, changes who we marry. Tim Keller points out, he basically just asks the question, how many biblical godly marriages never happen because they don't move past the work test? I could have. Perfect companions, perfect friendship, but you can't move past it. In fact, it's gone so far that it's like even for us to dial it back a little bit is hard for us because our minds are so distorted to focus on the outside, to evaluate and to judge people based on age or appearance or whatnot. Training up a generation of students and on who uh, will build lives around making sure that they have the right angles, the right look, whatever it might be. God saw it all thousands of years ago. And before you pat yourself on the back because you think you're beyond that, let me give two other outside appearances that we often evaluate. Because some of you will say, oh, yeah, those people, they're all beauty, no brains, or they're all looks and not this, and, uh, you know, but they're not smart, whatever it might be. Intelligence, intelligence is really the same thing. It is. God doesn't say, here, man looks at the outward appearance, but, but I look at the mind. He doesn't say that. He says the heart. And so some of us, either by natural selection or personal choice, have decided, I've lost the body game, so I'm going to go to the mind game. And so I'm going to be the best at bananagrams. I'm going to be the, everyone's first choice for trivia. I'm going to have the most degrees or the most letters before or after my name. Right? I'm going to be the one with the highest ACT or the highest SAT. The most uh, well-spoken or well-read. You can, have your, you can have your nice body. I've got what really matters. I can, I can outthink anyone. And what is it? It's just another way to um, classify people or to see ourselves in a better way. I'm smarter. I'm sharper. And just another way to form an identity in our own minds. For our own selves. Some of us, you, um, you lost the mind game um, and, and the body game. So, so yours became a, a third thing that I think we fall into, which is accomplishments. I might not be the best looking and I might not be the smartest, but I'm the richest. Uh, I, I might not, you know, whatever, whatever, but, but look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. I can get it done better than anybody. I'm going to go further than anyone. Because when you think about that upcoming school reunion, what do you think about? It's either I'm going to lose X amount of pounds in the right direction, right? Um, I'm going to talk about my, um, uh, I'm going to engage in intellectual conversation to make sure that I'm smarter than that person. Or I just need to be the one who shows up and I'm the one who won. And if I don't have one of those three things, then I can't show up because then I got nothing to hold on to. 
And so accomplishments becomes a third outward appearance. Look what I've done. Look how I've won. And in all of these, it perverts the way we see ourselves and the way that we see other people. Samuel falls right into the trap. God says, don't look on his appearance, on the height of his stature, on the things that you can see. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, not him either. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, nope, not him either. And Jesse made seven of his sons, which is the Hebrew number for completion, as if to say, this is it. There's nothing else. We're at the end. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, is everyone here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. Now, this word youngest is a very kind word for the word that Samuel actually used. It's not youngest as in like, oh, that's the baby. You know, he got the new car, right? It's not that. It's youngest as in um, forgotten, runt, irrelevant. Youngest as in um, we didn't even send him the text when Derek Jeter was in Starbucks, even though he was four feet away, right? Like, he didn't even get to come to the party when Samuel rolls into town. Youngest. Insignificant. He said, we still have the insignificant one. And he says, we'll bring him here. And then he says, we will not sit down till he comes. I have no idea how long that trip was. Could have made some, some discomfort. To send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was, this is intriguing. Now he was ruddy. Okay. This word means he looks like somebody who's worked hard. So whether that means there was muscle coming out or uh, he had maybe a, a darker tan because he was out in the sun or he just had some dirt on his face. He just, he looks like somebody who works hard. He was ruddy. He had beautiful eyes. You're like, who wrote this? His mom? Who knows? <laughs> and he was handsome. Now, here's what's interesting, and all of you are thinking this already. We just went through how outside looks don't matter. David rolls in, and the author's like, he's ruddy. And he has beautiful eyes. And he's handsome. Why? Why? I mean, why do you just get into that after going through all of that? What's the point? Well, here's, here's the point of it. The point is that you don't reject all of the things that we've just talked about as irrelevant or completely unimportant. That um, being healthy... Uh, and having a strong mind and having a bit ambition, none of those things are bad in and of themselves. David had all of those things. He was a brilliant poet, right? 
He was an inspiring leader. He is going to accomplish more than any of us will ever accomplish. He became king over our nation. If you get there, let me know. He accomplished much. He was smart. He was good looking. He was accomplished. And so it's almost as if God is putting it in there and he's saying, listen, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. You can care about your health. In fact, I think scripture would teach us to do that very thing. In fact, I think scripture would actually not, in fact, it does teach us uh, that uh, slothfulness and laziness are sins. It teaches us that. It teaches us that, that gluttony is a sin. That overeating to the point of lack of self-control or um, undue physical harm to your body is sinful. You're like, way to preach this on Thanksgiving week. Okay, I did not plan that. <laughs> you say, well, what's the line then? I don't know. I don't know. You know what's interesting? We were having this conversation last night. I was at dinner with some friends, and um, somebody was passing around sour cream and onion cheddar chips. Yeah. And they're passing those around, and they pass them in front of me, and I was like, no, thank you. I said, you can keep those in front of me all day, and I'm not going to eat one of them. Now, you make no-bake cookies. I will kill somebody to get them, okay? And uh, Lindsay makes delicious no-bake cookies. One night she came home, and she said, where'd all the cookies go? And I looked down at her like I had killed somebody. And I said, I ate them. <laughs> Twelve of them, okay? That throws your watch off for like a month. It just starts yelling at you. You're like, moron, stop! If I had told you that Lindsay had walked in on me watching pornography... If I had told you that Lindsay had walked on me, in on me with, a, with another person, if I had told you that I had stolen something, no one would giggle. And how we handle and take care of our bodies matters. It matters to God. And it reflects what's going on inside of us. And we can't just dismiss it. Now, we all know that um, body shape or weight is not necessarily an indicator of whether or not we're abusing food or drink. But it matters. Because there's extremes on both sides. Because if the extra pound, right, or, um, or, or the, the, the slightest thing is out of balance, if that also drives us to a place of dejection, then we've erred on the other side. And what we're doing in that moment is we're worshiping the outside appearance. Both sides. And we could walk through how this is similar with the mind and our ambition. Is it bad to be ambitious? No. 
No. Is it bad to want to accomplish? No. Can it become sinful? Yes. Is it bad to be uh, intelligent, to pursue academic achievement, to, to let it? When it becomes your worth? Yes. You know what scripture says about knowledge? Knowledge puffs up. That knowledge can, actually, we can take it to a place where we can become so overcome with our knowledge that it makes us arrogant. Doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue knowledge. It means we should be concerned about what it might produce in us and make sure in all of these things, we surrender them unto God. So we're not driven, worshiping, Outward appearance. What then? What then? Well, what does God look at? The heart. Now, I will admit to you, I have never thought this to myself. When I show up in my 15 year, that's next for me, reunion, I hope everybody looks and says, man, he exhibits a lot of peace. Man, he... Uh, he is patient. I've never thought that, really. I have thought, I hope they think his hair looks good. Thanks, Isaiah. I have thought, uh, man, maybe if it's at the right time, I can drive this. I've thought those things. See, I think what God is getting at here, and he's using this example of David in this, is what are you going to value most? Like, if we're going to use phrases, like, you're so concerned about the fruit that you eat, but not about the fruit that you bear. That there's an overemphasis on um, looking a certain way, accomplishing a certain task, thinking or having other people see you in a certain way, when the real question should be, am I growing in peace? Am I more able to find joy regardless of the circumstances? Am I more content at all times? Is the Holy Spirit more empowering my every move? Have I, have I picked up my cross more? It starts, let me close. It starts with, with two things. First, we have to see ourselves properly. We have to see ourselves properly. Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us how to do this, how to see ourselves properly. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us we were dead in our trespasses, slave to sin, sons of the child of wrath. We have to see ourselves properly. Seeing ourselves properly, first and foremost, starts with recognizing that we are deeply flawed and sinful. But then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 tells us, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That we are deeply flawed and sinful. But secondly, we are greatly loved. How loved? God would give up his son. Jesus would give up his life. That's how loved. We are deeply flawed and sinful. We are greatly loved. And then a Verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
we are redeemed, chosen, and in process. See, David here, David here, it says, the Spirit of God rushed upon David from that day forward. He's anointed king. The Holy Spirit falls on him. And guess what he does a couple chapters later? Sins greatly. Doesn't say the Holy Spirit rushed upon him and then left. No, the verse indicates that the Holy Spirit was on him. Which means the last way we see ourselves is we are redeemed, but we're in process. We're moving from one level of glory to the next. We're being made new. We are new and we're being made new. Is it a paradox? It certainly is. Yes. So that's the start with changing the way we see ourselves and then letting that change how we see others and how we're going to evaluate and judge them and what criteria we're going to do when evaluating other people. And then lastly, it should also change the way we see God. And how should we see him? Well, we should see Jesus Jesus, who is the image of a beautiful creation. Jesus, who, like David, came out of Bethlehem. Obscure. Jesus, who came and went to the cross, and on the cross, we're told, he exchanged all of his beauty and took on our ugliness both physically, by the way, as the scripture says, he was unrecognizable and there was nothing remarkable about him. So both physically and spiritually, Jesus took on all of, the, all of our ugliness so that we might have his beauty. And when did he do it? When we were his enemies. In other words, when Christ looked at us, he saw something that in and of itself, you and I, in and of ourselves, are just that first part of how we are supposed to see ourselves, deeply flawed and sinful. When there was nothing attractive about us, nothing that anyone would say, ah, that's the one. When we were like that, forgotten, rejected, and left out, Jesus said, that, him, her, I will die for. That's greatly loved. And how does it happen? Well, the text tells us the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us in our salvation and we begin to work it out. So as we close, I want to ask you a couple of, I guess, contemplative questions. And I hope I'll let you think. So will you pray with me? Question one. Are you chasing a shadow image of yourself? Attempting for that perfect look? That great achievement? Something outward to define you? 
Are you worshiping it? Question two. Are you evaluating others based on one of these outward appearances? If so, ask God to change you so that you might see others how he sees them. And then lastly, do you see how God sees you? Greatly loved. Redeemed in process. Father, I pray that you would help us shift what we worship or priority. Help us to see others past, outside appearance. And help us to see ourselves through the lens of the gospel. That when we were ugly and your enemy, you clothed us in your beauty. Thank you. Keep changing us. Help us to be melted and motivated by that love that you showed us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were inspired, challenged, and learned something new. For more information about our church, visit our website at redemptioncitychurch.tv. Have a great week.